0: This podcast is sponsored by Low No Drinker magazine, the number one UK magazine for the sober curious drinker, bringing you news, reviews and interviews from the people, places and brands, leading the low and no alcohol revolution. As a Sober Rebel listener, use code SOBERREBEL15 to get 15% off any digital or print subscription from the Low No Drinker magazine for six whole months. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Sober Rebel podcast. I'm Louisa Evans and today I've got the absolute pleasure of talking to Duncan about his sobriety and the wonders he's discovered after stopping drinking alcohol. I love any chats I have with Duncan. You always leave the conversation feeling great and thinking about things completely differently. I'm just, I am so excited to talk to you.
1: I'm quite excited too. In fact, I'm thinking, who are you and what have you done with Duncan? Because (laughs) the old Duncan would have been petrified. I had a moment of being petrified before coming on and then I thought, no, 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 I don't do that anymore. And I just did some breathing, I opened up, I have a picture in my head that I open up and I just thought, yep, here I am. I'm enjoying being on your podcast. (laughs)
0: Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm definitely enjoying having you on the podcast. I and mean, we haven't even it's started days yet. <laughs> early So just to begin with, could you share whatever you want to about your sobriety? How long have you been sober and what was the catalyst for you deciding to go sober?
1: So I've been sober. I, I do like a little bit of symmetry. And I, I'm i almost got perfect symmetry today because I'm one year, two months, two weeks and two days sober. I think that equates to 400. 42. So I'm a reasonable way into sobriety. And uh, although I also know by comparison to my whole life, I'm just a babe in this neck of the woods. Um, Alcohol had become too big an ingredient in my life. It hadn't managed to wreck my entire being. Actually, it had wrecked my whole being, but I was still managing to pretend to myself and others that it hadn't. So I was still managing a facade, but I realized that it was too big, it had taken over pretty much every area. I was dependent on it and it was slowly but surely eroding and destroying everything that I cared about in life. I think of the great cliffs of Dover, I think of the sea washing in and slowly but surely just taking the grains of sand away from the cliffs and eroding. I could see where this was going and I needed to make a change. But needing to make a change, realising I need to make a change. It doesn't really happen then either. So I then began a long list of dates where I would actually make the change. And that just continued to be put back, put back, put back until, you know, I got to the point where I, I, I don't know. I just thought, what am I doing, Duncan? I, I saw in start reality that this manana, manana, manana was never coming. And I just thought, right now. And I stopped.
0: Wow. And there was nothing you can say that was different at that time. It was just enough.
1: It was early summer. I had a holiday booked with Karina and I thought, I'm going to give up alcohol, lose a bit of weight and get beach fit for holiday. Then that didn't happen. The holiday was upon me. I thought, "Okay, I will give up when we arrive at the holiday so that I'm not away with the fairies the whole time and rob Karina of her mate on holiday. Karina being my wife. Uh, that didn't happen. So then I thought, I'll just moderate during the holiday. That didn't happen. And Then it got to the end of holiday, and I realised... I think there was a few other delays along the way, but that's the ones I remember right now. And then I, it got to the end of the holiday, and I just, I just saw everything I'd planned, everything I'd promised, myself and Karina, didn't happen. So it was the last day of holiday, and I said, that's it now, and I stopped. Actually, I hadn't really stopped. What I'd done was said to myself, all right, I'll give myself a break. I will do a 30-day thing. I'd got Annie Grace's book. Some friend had passed that to me. I thought, I'll do 30 days. I'll give my body a break. Because at that stage, I still hadn't realised what alcohol was. I still was under the illusion of what we all thought alcohol was, this this great thing that I just needed to give my body a break. And that's all we do, you know. And so I started the 30-day thing, which, of course, as we all know, is uh, moved morphed into a much more beautiful, greater thing, which is a life of sobriety. I will never go back to have a drink of alcohol. I will never do that. I'm not trying yeah. to convince myself. I'm just, it's a state a state of fact. Why would I? Yeah, that's
0: where I am with it. And I think to begin with, when I started saying, I don't want to do that anymore. Even Dale, because I know we've met, haven't we? And you've met my husband. Yeah. It wasn't really his idea to do this sobriety thing. It was definitely me that wanted to do it. And he just went, I'll do it with you. But he now is saying, I can't see why I'd want to drink again. Whereas he was always adamant that this was just a break. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's all about our view of things. So when we were in drink, we didn't see what life outside a drink was like. All we had was everything was sold by marketing, by media, by culture. So we do not see the amazingness of not drinking. We just are told that it would be shit. But now that we're in it, now we see both sides. And do you know, why are we not told how fabulous sober life is? Maybe we are and we just don't have ears to listen.
0: There's a lot of fear messaging around when it comes to not drinking. I know one of my fears was, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to cope? It's like you say, it's not until you actually get the other side and you're enjoying these things. And it's different to begin with, but actually you think, no, this is better.
1: Well, we often need to recalibrate, don't we? If we go on holiday to a very, very strange place, say India, for instance, which I've been to many times, adore India. But the first time I went there, it was a shock. You need to recalibrate. And then once you've recalibrated... Can really enjoy moving from drinking to not drinking. It's just a recalibration, it's different. There's a new culture, it just takes you a little while. Your body needs to deal with it, and you have to unlearn a whole load of lies that we've been sold that would have us tied into fear. Or you aren't funny sober, you can't dance sober, you can't socialize sober, you aren't courageous enough sober, you know, you're just boring sober. That's what all the media tells us all the time. And it's just not true. In fact, not only is it not true, it's the opposite of truth. Because in actual fact, I'm funnier. I dance better. I'm more interesting. I'm everything more sober. Everything. What a surprise. Who knew? Yeah, because you
0: went to that wedding, didn't you? You did an amazing, like, three. Was it, was it a wedding or was it a birthday party?
1: I've been to a few things. I've been to everything now, but... um, there was like a
0: three day thing that you went to. Oh, wasn't yes. It? That
1: was my friend's uh, 50th. That was a three day rave surrounded by every drug, immanageable, really. Can't say the word. <laughs> and um, and I watched them unpack the crates and crates and crates of alcohol. And I partied with Karina for three days nonstop with these crazy, beautiful people. They were all off their heads in pain the next day. I don't know how much of the party they can remember. Karina and I, we were right in the middle of it, middle of it all. But we obviously weren't in pain the next day, and we can remember it all. It was great fun. Yeah, it is I'm the sure opposite. they all thought we were off our heads too, but we were, but just not using external drugs, using the music, using fun, happiness, using people. You know, just using the situation to That's vibe amazing. off.
0: And Karina, she she doesn't drink either, does she?
1: No, she gave up same day as me, but she was never a drinker she would have a drink because I put it on the table but she didn't have to go through any kind of withdrawal or anything like that or particularly reculture her mind she never really had that issue like I did
0: oh bless well we both got that in yeah. common haven't we yeah, yeah we have partners
1: yeah, yeah. and Dale's you know,
0: a great one not everybody has that and I really do feel for people that are doing it on their own
1: Karina being there it's supportive and I can be so grateful to her for her attitude to me
0: So let's start to talk then about your three things that you've noticed, three areas of your life that you've noticed have improved in sobriety.
1: What's your first one? Oh, does that? That's, you've got that voice of Desert Island Discs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've practiced uh, my first disc. <laughs> so I found this list tricky because there's a long, there's a long list of things I could choose from, and. I'm not even sure I got the question right, but I picked three things that I notice as different um, that I really, really am pleased about. And the first one is an unlikely one, meditation. I'm going to pick meditation. It's something that's in my life now um, quite a lot and I'm looking to build on it. I've been staggered by what it's brought to my life. I had pigeonholed meditation as some stupid, ridiculous, old hippie bollocks thing that only fools did uh, when they were off their head on drugs. What I didn't realise was that meditation was not that at all. It's, It's got a huge scientific basis for it, and it's a brilliant tool for managing my mind, managing my thoughts, which need managing, need bridling. I think that a lot of my problems in life, not just sobriety, Louisa, but a lot of my problems in life is that my thoughts have managed me and my thoughts, well-meaning as they are, are all super defensive and all about survival. And and they like to think about every potential eventuality and, and then try and troubleshoot it. And my thoughts think the best way of keeping me safe is to imagine every terrible thing that could possibly happen, which really just frightens the fuck out of me. And I collapse under the pressure and weight of all these fears and whatnot. So my thoughts have run amuck in my head for far too long. And meditation is a brilliant technical little device that I can use to bridle my thoughts and manage my thoughts. I manage my thoughts. And therein lies such fruit, such joy, such peace, such ability to make better decisions, to be happier in my own skin everything gets augmented if I manage my thoughts and meditation I've found is a route in to doing that so I would so definitely have it as one of on my list of three um so I have there it is <laughs> meditation
0: <laughs> I would say I was very similar to you in my younger years in that I looked at meditation and I thought oh roll my eyes and really Eesh. didn't didn't want to know and like you say it's got it's got a lot of scientific background and so when I trained in what I do with even with the cognitive behavioral therapy side of things but certainly the hypnosis there was a large part of it was about learning how to observe your thoughts and not get absorbed by them and I thought to myself god they should teach this at schools they so should so how do you meditate what is your meditation like
1: I started with various apps so I I really like um, Sam Harris's waking up app and he's got an introductory course which I still haven't finished so guided meditations his are focusing on the on breathing to begin with you know because breathing draws you into a present which is my second thing on the list so let's not get me going there too soon breathing centers me this understanding that I have consciousness and that things that might distract me are just appearing in consciousness. I've got a book at the moment that I'm doing an eight week mindfulness course. So I'm just following what the book says. It's got some online guided meditations, which again, focus on breathing, or they focus on blessing myself or blessing others, or it can be sound focus. It's about focusing, choosing where to focus my attention. So I don't think, don't think it really matters where I focus my attention. So long as I learn to focus my attention, because this is the key. It's about being able to wield my own thoughts in the direction that I'm choosing to wield them in and not have them drag me to a place where I don't want to be. Like, for instance, have a drink. You need a drink. You're better off with a drink. Uh, no, no thoughts. That's not where we're going. What we're going to do today is cooking. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that association, isn't it? with cooking?
1: <laughs> yes. Meditation is akin to mindfulness. That buzzword that I rejected myself few years ago when everybody was talking about it because I just rejected it because everybody was talking about it but in actual fact honestly it's such a good thing mindfulness and uh, there's the clue in the title being mindful in charge of my own mind it's a practice it's like anything it's like riding a bicycle it's like any skill the more you do it the more you can do it the better you are at it and so it's a practice so I try to make sure I do it at least twice a day I don't manage it actually, but I try for twice a day. I definitely manage it once a day. I probably manage 50 minutes a day, which I think is huge.
0: That's massive.
1: Yeah, but... What an achievement. The thing this book points out, which is so true, is you say to yourself, oh, I haven't got 50 minutes in my day, but you do because there's another economy or an exchange rate that comes into play. By spending that much time calming myself, centering myself, ordering my own thoughts i do everything else so much more efficiently i gain time so it's a good investment when i was making notes for you i had to think those three things i wrote three things down next to the meditation i wrote down truth revealed i think i think that comes i wrote down touching the void and i really think there's something in that when i meditate i feel i'm touching the void there is something greater than me there's certainly something greater than my thoughts, but there's something greater and bigger than me that I seem to get my fingertips to in meditation too. And I call that touch in the void. It, void is well misnamed, because I think it's full. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, the other thing that I quite like, which is, I don't know if it's naughty, but it is what it is, um, it's an appropriate high. I get high off meditation. I find myself buzzing and fizzing inside in a way that I quite like. Mm. And I realized that I no longer like substance highs. I got a hit of some brandy by mistake at Christmas last year. I really detested the feeling, which was interesting. I really hated the feeling. I now know I don't like that feeling. But in meditation, I get that buzzy little fizzy thing. And I think to myself, oh, this is interesting. This is like, this is just, this is probably everything I looked for previously when I wanted to get off my head, but without any of the detritus attached
0: Yeah, just to explain um, for anybody listening that that you say that accidental hit of brandy, that was from a Christmas pudding, wasn't it?
1: It was, it was. I I was deep in conversation, somebody put a bowl of pudding in front of me and they'd set fire to the brandy, but it hadn't really worked. And I put a mouthful in my mouth and I was chewing and and I was still sort of in this conversation and suddenly my body just went into warning, warning, you know, drugs on board. It was like, what the hell is going on? And I I was quite alarmed. And I realised, I I felt it buzz from my toes all the way through my head, my ears, my eyes, everything. I just felt it. And I hadn't had anything like that for so long that it was a shock. And I realised I didn't like it. I didn't, I don't want that.
0: But meditation is giving you that
1: meditation it's a different high it's a sort of it's a little gentle fizzing around the the peripheral of, of my being it's sort of a gentle comforting little sort of thing within myself and I can feel it and it's pleasant but I'm not I'm not being hijacked by it
0: gosh that's a really good way of putting it hijacked yeah yeah I was reading a bit of Eckhart this morning Um, I was obviously I was trying to prop the computer up here I picked up Eckhart to do it and I thought actually I'm not going to use that as a prop I'm going to read a little bit of it with my morning coffee and one of the things that he was um, talking about was when you lose touch with inner stillness you lose touch with yourself yeah and I thought it's no coincidence I'm reading that just before talking to Duncan Uh, and when you lose touch with yourself of course you lose touch with the world
1: why is that no coincidence talking to Duncan Oh, because you're just so wise with this stuff. I recycle. During the course of my recovery, I have read and listened to people like Urquhart, who is such a gift to this world. And like that little thing you just said, I just, I receive it. and I think, oh my gosh, I just want to, I just pass it on. Pass it on. And so I, I hesitate to call myself wise. I'm certainly a passer on A conduit, maybe. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> which we are all we are all conduits we're all connected which is why it's so important who you connect with I suppose with who you have around you we are all connected this should just be flowing through us backwards and forwards this is what we do on a podcast you and I are passing information backwards and forwards to each other and and hopefully the people listening are receiving and then they will go off and pass it on and uh, what we used to play when we were kids pass the parcel yeah <laughs> except it everyone a bit like gets that. prize everyone gets every piece of wrapping paper is a prize
0: that is excellent yeah so mindfulness and meditation then you'd probably say
1: yeah i'm i would struggle to, to say what's different about them to be yeah, honest actually very... maybe meditation is the route into mindfulness maybe um, and yeah. mindfulness is a very very good practice to be in meditation is how you do it maybe and uh, one of the ways you do it
0: I think the definition of mindfulness that I studied um, in college was, it was rather a strange thing to study in college, but it was really cool. <laughs> was that It was the awareness of the present moment without judgment, because we're so good at bringing judgment to things, even if it's looking at a picture on the wall and bringing a mindfulness to looking at the beauty of a picture on the wall, but then judging that it's not quite straight. You know, we can always look to criticize or to judge things so you have to step back from judgment.
1: That's a that's a brilliant little segue, Louisa, into uh, my second item, isn't it? You know, it is. is. Anybody think I'd
0: is... done this before? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, you're so good at this. Uh, yeah, the present. I think that's so true. I think judgment. Now, where does judgment come from? Judgment is our thoughts. Again, we don't want to throw our thoughts out because they're very very useful. It's a, our thinking ability is a nifty bit of kit.
0: When you were talking about thoughts, ironically, I was thinking of, of the word metacognition and the ability Ooh. to think about our thoughts. That, again, we have that as human beings, that ability to think about our thoughts, which gives yeah. you that wonderful opportunity
1: to then choose better thoughts. If I'm not careful, I think I am my thoughts. I buy into it. I identify with my thoughts and then I get lost in, in a whole swirl of thoughts. When I do what you said, which is to start to look at my thoughts, That's me looking. And as I look, I step forward into the frame. That's how I think of it. Yeah, that's nice. And we now move into thinking about time. You mentioned present. Present is my second thing on my list. So thoughts predominantly exist and thrive in the past and in the future. They love to reminisce and they love to regret. They love to look forward to and they love to fear. And they have their being in the past and the future, neither of which exist. The past is gone, it has gone. The fact that I can remember it does not mean it hasn't gone, it's gone. The future does not exist, it's an illusion. Everything we think about the future, maybe it's likely to unfold that way, but we don't know. The only real space and time is here and now. This is where I exist. I become present as in, I am here. And I become present as in time, as in this is the only moment that really exists. I'm faced with a choice every moment to live this moment, not the moment in one second's time. I'm going to get that finickety. Not one second, this moment, this second. Okay, now I'm in this second. Now this, it's every, it's now. I don't know if that sounds like a load of hocus pocus. I've read and thought about this for so long that now I know what I think. and talk about when I talk about this, but somebody not hearing this for the first or hearing this for the first time might might think it's all a bit hocus pocus. But when you arrive in the present, it's like awakening. If you are caught up in the regrets of yesterday or the delights of your youth, you and you and you live there, you're asleep. You you know you will miss what's happening in the present moment because you're away with the fairies there. Same thing if you spend too much time worrying about tomorrow, that meeting, or will kids pass their exams? You know, how will I tell the husband I just smashed the car up? If you spend too much time fearing the future, again, you're missing what actually is happening in the moment. And again, the, when you become present to the moment that's here at hand, you'll wake. I'm trying very hard to live my life this way. And I find I wake numerous times a day, like hundreds of times a day, because my mind, I will float off with my thoughts. But the more I draw myself back to the present moment, the more I do it, the more, and every time I arrive here in the present moment, like now, I'll go, I'm awake and I I love it. There is a pool of resources that we draw on in life for things like our creativity, our spontaneity, our joy, Where does that come from? That does not come from our thoughts. By definition, our thoughts are not spontaneous. Where does our creativity, our love, our joy, our spontaneity come from? It comes from us. We only exist in the present. So if you wanna get creative and joyous and peaceful, you need to come to the present. That's where you will find you. And that is where all of those things will just naturally flood out into your world
0: let me ask you then, because you you are obviously incredibly well-read and you're you're a deep thinker, which I love.
1: I'm, um, I'm a deep thinker, but I'm not incredibly well-read. Well, you sound it. You really yeah, do. Good, good, you you good. obviously
0: absorb. Maybe you're channeling. You know, it really does resonate. And I was just thinking then, as you were talking, first of all, about when I play the piano or I'm playing a musical instrument and you were talking about creativity and being in that moment and how if I was thinking – of what I was going to do next Tuesday, I wouldn't be able to play the piano the way that I can, or I wouldn't be able to channel that that moment. So that idea of that presentness, that mindfulness in in the present moment and expanding that bandwidth, somebody once explained it to me. So like you've got your past, Mm -hmm. you've got your future. And for most people, their bandwidth on the present moment is quite narrow And what you're looking to do by keeping very present, keep practicing that, is expand that bandwidth so that it's wider and that the the past and the present are being pushed more out into the periphery. It's still there. Like you say, you can't push your thoughts away. Even thinking that you don't want to think is a thought. So you can't stop thinking. You're always going to have thoughts. But when you're in that creative moment of art or reading or it's not possible, to entertain anything but that present moment, is it?
1: There are so many different ways into the present. And like you just beautifully described, when you give your attention to something that is in the present, like you playing a piano, like you fixing a boiler, like you doing the washing up, like you painting, like you dancing, if you give your attention to something that is in the present, you will be in the present with it.
0: Yeah. So as a drinker then, this is this is what fascinates me because you're obviously so attuned and aware Is it literally since you've gone sober that you've opened your eyes and and sort of looked at this sort of thing, or have you always had it within you?
1: Well, so to answer your question fairly, this is since I've been sober. But I would argue it was always in me, just as it's in you, and it's in all of us, because we all have that inner self, which personally I think is eternal, the divine, the infinite, the void, you know, it's there. That is who we operate out of. That's where our creativity comes from. It was always there, but it was covered. So I never read anything. I couldn't read anything. You know, by the second paragraph, I'd fallen asleep if I tried to read anything.
0: Or well, squint out of one eye, I used to do at night, trying to pretend yeah. I was reading, read one par- <laughs> one sentence over and over and over, and it still wouldn't go
1: in. So when I was drinking, my focus of attention was always about getting the next drink that's where i'd got to i would indulge in life but only to the ends of either getting my next drink or being perceived as not getting my next drink just you know if i was working hard on my client stuff it would be to justify a drink if i was cooking it would be i can have a drink if i was going on a walk it would be to a pub if i was going up a mountain it would be how great will that Drink be when I come back off the mountain. That's where my oh, and then of course you remember. Oh gosh, this is such horrible memories. But it's always about auditing. Have I got enough drink? Uh, no, I haven't. I probably don't. I need to pick up some. Where can I pick up? Where can I hide it so that it won't look like I've got so much drink? Where can I hide it so that somebody else won't drink my drink? It's just that's where my thoughts were before. So I have stumbled into thinking about this other stuff because uh, I stumbled into it because I was looking for a way out of the alcohol trap. And through finding dynamics that helped me step away from alcohol, I stumbled across these truths. In fact, um, yeah, truth revealed, like I said in meditation. You know, the world is so much more wonderful, so much more intricate, so much more fabulous than I realized. And when you see it, you know, it's it's a breadcrumb trail that, is you can't help but follow.
0: Yeah. That inner knowing, that inner awareness that you have has led you, really. Alcohol was in fact, isn't isn't it that um alcohol's derived from the Arabic word al-Kul. Is it? Which Ooh, means do tell. Bo- it means body eating spirit.
1: No way.
0: Yeah. Um, and so and there are some there's all sorts of different cultures that think about alcohol differently, but it it's sort of there, there are beliefs that it opens up. Your body to be invaded by demons in some cultures. I find it so fascinating that your spirit, your awareness, your inner soul, I think we need to nurture and listen to. And for years, I was drinking. I didn't want to listen to my thoughts. I didn't certainly didn't want to listen to my soul. I didn't want to know. And now it's that awareness and that opening up of enjoying the still moments, which as I say, it is hard for me. I'm actually going through ADHD assessment at the moment. And I'm not doing that for any other reason, just more understanding of how my mind works, because sometimes it won't switch off. Even with all the techniques and tools that I know, I still struggle to get it to still and to bring it back to the present moment. So all of these things I'm learning have come from partly my work, but also from sobriety, because you've got no excuse, you've got no numbing device. You have to be present.
1: So, how do you reach for stillness? What does that look like? What's your, because uh, I want to know about, I don't have ADHD, I don't think. Mm-hmm. So, I, I'm interested in that. So, let's imagine you're on a desert island, just you and your brain. What would you do to try and still find stillness?
0: So, the first thing that comes to mind
1: would be to use a
0: little technique, the 54321 technique, where it's a mindfulness technique. And I use that a lot when I need to calm or when I need to get out of my head. And that's noticing five things that you can see and just speaking them out loud or just saying them in your head. Oh, look at that beautiful view. Look at the blue sky, that dappled cloud. And I'd notice the things that I was seeing. Then I'd pick up on and use my hearing, notice the things I was hearing, four things I'd be hearing, three things I could touch, two things I could smell And one thing I could taste, even if that's just I've not eaten anything, I can't taste anything. Or if it's the coffee I've had this morning.
1: And does that work for you? uh,
0: Yeah, it does, actually. How long can you stay there? I would say about 10 minutes. So once I'm actually starting to, because I accept that my mind will never stop. My mind will always want to go off and wander. It's like an excitable puppy is the way I, I sort of. Look at it, and it likes to run off and play. And I have to let it do that regularly, otherwise, it goes mad. But equally, I need to train it to sit and stay every now and again and to come back and to heal and to just be quiet. And then it can go off and play. Even in moments where I've got Charlotte around, I can literally go, Right, I've got my coffee now. <laughs> I'm just going to have a moment and just do my five, four, three, two, one. Or I'm just going to have a moment, even without using that structure of just noticing all my senses, hearing the clock ticking, feeling the stillness, noticing that stillness. Because that's when we connect to the stillness within, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that's when I think the stillness within connects with the stillness without and we something special happens at that point. I tend to think that the real us and our thoughts can't coexist in the same place. So the moment we pitch up your five, four, three, two, one is another brilliant technique. I'm going to use it myself to draw us into the present because the moment you are present, your thoughts are not. I so I slightly have an issue with the metaphor of the puppy down by your feet going heel because the puppy is not there. Yeah. The moment we are there, puppy doesn't exist. The thoughts are off. Yeah, they they they, they can't muscle in on the stage while we are occupying it.
0: Yeah, so maybe I send the puppy off for a, it's dinner or something.
1: <laughs> well. <laughs> Puppy, you're you're out of here. You're, you're history, puppy. <laughs> the big dog's back in town.
0: <laughs> oh, that is brilliant. Do you know, the, the being <clears> present <throat> thing, I would say has been one of my biggest benefits. We went to bonfire night the other night and it was just amazing because firstly, I don't think I'd have done it. I really don't think we'd have gone out of an evening. We wouldn't have traveled to a nearby town because we wouldn't have wanted to drive. And I would have either been itching to get to the pub or we'd have just come from the pub. So I wouldn't have been present for it. And I was present for everything, even the fact it was freezing. I was present for it and it was lovely. And it's Charlotte's first experience of big fireworks. So That's why wouldn't I want to be absolutely present for that? And my My goddaughter actually has just messaged me overnight. And I did ask permission to share this because I knew what you were going to talk about with the present moment. And um, she's currently in Bali. And she said she had a couple of drinks in the first week in Bali. She's actually there for six weeks, lucky sod. But since then, she hasn't touched alcohol at all. Now, she's not a big drinker at all. She's very health conscious. But what she's noticed is that she hasn't missed it. And they went on a boat trip the other day And there were people there doing shots on the boat at 11 in the morning. And she just thought, no, it's beautiful. I want to be in this moment. The view, the sea, the sun, you know, it's just stunning. And with her friends.
1: That's madness, isn't it? You're there in that setting and some part of your brain says, oh, do you know, it'd be much better to pour this liquid down your throat that you don't even really like the taste of. Yeah. Really. Than enjoy The dolphins, that beautiful blue water, the waves, the sea, the sun, you know, it's so mad.
0: It's some cracking marketing, isn't it? When you think about it, you know, how have we fallen for it for so long?
1: How have we fallen? Well, that's a whole podcast in itself.
0: I think it is, actually. I might have to get you back on.
1: (laughs) But high five to your goddaughter. Well done, her.
0: Yeah, she's amazing. She really is amazing. And she actually said, which made me feel really good. She said, I was thinking of you and your journey because she's been following the sober account. And so even those moderate drinkers, we are touching so yeah. those. We're doing a good thing, well, spreading the in my, word.
1: In my household now, there are no drinkers left. So Krina stopped. My middle son never really drank. There's, I've got my almost son, Nico. He stopped drinking almost a year ago, actually over a year ago. Grace stopped um, about a month ago. So you know it's it's mushrooming, mushrooming out. People see there's a new message in town. There and, is, uh, and the evidence is clear for everyone to see. It's, there is. it's a good, it's a good thing.
0: It is, it is. So that was being present. Yep. What is your third benefit of sobriety?
1: I don't know if I'm going to get this one out properly uh, because it's sort of oxymoronic. Um, I'm going to say being in control. I've always loved being in control. In fact, it's been my undoing. So I'm a man historically with a million lists. I have lists of lists. I plan, I plan and plan, and then I revisit the plans and revisit the lists. What have I forgotten? Being in control is all about managing fears of things going wrong in the future. So I will plan holidays. I'll plan the shopping, the cooking, I'll plan Work, I I would plan every interaction. If I was going to a party, I would try and imagine who was there. I would already run through in my head conversations that I would have. I would rehearse jokes in my head because I would be so anxious and nervous about, goodness knows what, but that I was an anxious, nervous person about a lot of things. Controlling my life was hugely, hugely important because I believed the illusion that I was reducing the risk of harm to myself and to the ones that I was protecting and loving in my life. So what I found in sobriety is I have a greater degree of control. And here's the oxymoron, by relinquishing control, I've let it go. I've thought, fuck it, I'm done with that. I don't care. I am what I am. I don't care what people think, what people say. I mean, clearly I care about people. So, uh, But I'm stepping away from judgments. I've got more faith in my own choices and my own self-worth, my own self-belief systems that I think, do you know what? I'm going to step forward with my best foot. I know it won't be always correct because I'm fallible. But what I do know is it's my best. So I will know that I will always bring my best game to anything. I will fuck up. I will look stupid at times and that's all right. I don't mind what people think because I've done my best and that's all I can bring. So I've managed to drop the control. And as a result, I can't quite fathom why this is so, but I feel so much more in control. And um, I think I feel, I feel empowered. I feel equipped. I think when you are managing fear and anxiety, I think those a, quite negative energies. I don't like to sound like I'm talking negative energies, man. But, you know, I think they are negative energies. And I think what you put out comes back at you. And by getting rid of them, I put out a positive energy, it seems, by accident, you know, instead. And it it all seems to go quite well. Yeah. Even the bits that don't go well, I see as going quite well. This is, you know, this is all right. If something untoward happens, I can think of it as... Well, this is a this is a new bit of gym equipment for my ego for my mind for my what do i believe do i really believe this thing so how do i apply it here and i find it a useful a useful thing so difficult things i've come to the conclusion there aren't bad things there's just mm. an attitude to things and if i and i've changed my attitude then they they're not bad of course somebody sawing my leg off i would think um without anesthetic that's clearly a bad thing but I am tempted to even argue, that's not a bad thing. You know, for instance, if my leg had gangrene and it was going to kill me, soaring my leg off is a good thing. It's my attitude to the soaring that is the bad thing. And I'm sure, don't test me on this, please, universe, but I'm sure if I altered my, my approach to that, the suffering would be reduced.
0: Yeah, it it is the the suffering though, isn't it? It's our... All attitude to things like you put it 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 shapes our experience and yeah I would totally agree with you I I think over like I talk about my my depressed decade in my 20s and woe is me and isn't everything terrible and you know I was just oh, oh there was always a problem why was everything happening to me life was so unfair And then I spent my 30s sort of opening my eyes, reading more stuff, looking at stuff. In fact, I met a couple of wonderful mentors through my life that have opened my eyes to different areas. And then now I I keep building on it. So when things happen, without being all Pollyanna, I will always try and look and think, right, what is this teaching me? How can I grow from this? What can I learn from this? You know, without being, as I say, completely Pollyanna and unrealistic. And it's not that everything happens for a reason. It's that everything can teach you something and grow you.
1: Yeah. Everything is an opportunity, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Even the things that aren't, you know, my father's death was the worst moment of my life. And even in those moments, I was taking comfort and strength from some of the things, even down to the fact that he didn't suffer when he died. You know, it was very sudden for everybody else. It was horrible. But for him, it would have been painless and instant. So it's it's about, it's not being, as I say, it's not having that false positivity because these bad things are awful, but it's just trying to find something in there.
1: Do you know what? There is so much in the viewfinder of our lives for us to choose what we are going to focus on. We tend to focus on two things. That undo us. We, first of all, focus on the things we can't control. Like, for instance, your father's death. You can't control that, but you focus on that. We can focus on other things. We can focus on a bad boss at work. We can focus on things that we have no control over, which isn't going to do anything other than unrest us. And then the other thing that we can focus on In this great plethora of a viewfinder we can focus on the things we don't have and that's going to make us feel lacking and that's also going to distress us and if we focus on the things we can't control and the things that we're lacking we've inadvertently taken ourselves out of within ourselves and we are now out there and we are now looking for solutions out there and as i said earlier you're never going to find any solution for in here out there but we're now out there because of where our focus is our focus is on what we can't control and our focus is on what we don't have and then if you add what we talked about earlier in that we either live in the past or the future there's the trap closed and we get we're out there we reverse this by focusing on what we can control which is us which is me and we reverse it by focusing on what we do have. Like you were saying with your father thing there, you know, what we do have, which makes us feel gratitude. And we add the third thing, which we talked about earlier about being in the present and we spring the trap out. We're out of the trap. It's all about mindset because it's all about where we direct our focus. And I think it's just life-changing. It is. And of course, alcohol was robbing
0: all of those three areas that you've been talking about, you can't meditate when you're hungover or drinking and you can't be, pre- you're not present when you're drinking. That's, that's the one thing you're not. At best, I always say at best, alcohol zoned me out. At worst, it made me sleepy. And at the very worst, it would make me argumentative.
1: Al- alcohol was a solution. No pun intended. Alcohol was a fix. It was our attempt to fix something that was not right. And it, did fix it, but it's a bad fix because it brought more problems with it that also need fixing. So I don't knock myself too harshly for the fact that I was lost in alcohol for all those years. I was numbing myself to the pain of existence. What I've learned to do instead is fix the thing that was causing me pain rather than numb it uh, because the numbing didn't fix anything and brought a whole load of new to be fixes with it when you're in alcohol you're trapped in a cycle you need to break the cycle it's that thing you need to change what you're focusing on you need to change your mindset and you need something to help break the loop once you break the loop once you get a glimmer of what's out there it speaks for itself you feel the sun on your skin you feel fresh air you feel life and you you know that's a good thing and then you just need somebody to teach you tricks of how to how to break away from the mindset that keeps dragging you back to that very very second rate fix
0: yeah yeah what books would you recommend or what things would you recommend people to read about if they're on this alcohol journey because I think we all do like the quick lit I don't know if you did the quick lit stuff but I did loads of quick lit and then yes you've yes. got loads of time and you've got all this presence and focus so if you were then looking to go deeper and look into some of those things like mindfulness and meditation.
1: So I would definitely start if I was advising anybody, I would start with quitlet. I would start with a 30 day alcohol challenge type thing, like Annie Grace. And I would also start with a bit of quitlet, you know, that would give you some nuts and bolts about what alcohol is. Definitely because you're not going to be ready for anything deeper until you get out of the poison. You need to step out of it, get your mind working again. After that, Urquhart Tolle, for me, oh, every day of the week, uh, He's he wrote The Power of Now. The little ones, Stillness Speaks, and he's got some other little ones. They, these are like little nuggets that come from The Power of Now and This New Earth, I think he's called it. For me, he expounds on areas he touches briefly on in a Power of Now, and I found it super, super enlightening. And then after that, I have, like you've got, I've got those little books. I'll just read a paragraph a day, just like a little... Just like a little depth charge of wondrous. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yes, that's true. Must remember that. Of course, forget that. So I just like to top up with these um, things. Um, I love The Book of Awakening by Mark Nepo. Oh, that looks good. He's a poet who survived cancer and is absolutely full of joyous wisdom. Oprah Winfrey had him on her show and she adores him and gave his book a whole new lease of life. I am reading Power versus Force. Oh my gosh! Who's that by? That is by uh, Doctor David Hawkins, and we're really unpacking how life works. You know, I, I'm the jury's out with that one. I'm if what he claims is true, then it's mind blowing. But we'll have to see. I read books like Manifest, Roxana Fusi, just anything that feeds my curiosity about how life works. Oh my gosh! Reality is not what it seems, a journey to quantum gravity, Carlo Rovelli. The quantum field, oh my gosh. Here's my mindfulness book. That's Mark Williams, is it? Mark Williams and Danny Penman. Yeah, I'm doing this at the moment. It's an eight-week mindfulness course I'm on, starting week eight today. And uh, I found it really useful. (laughs) I like Ryan Holiday. He's a stoic writer. He likes to quote Marcus Aurelius and... Epictetus and various other Roman philosophers. I think that might be a bit deep for me. I don't know. I like to no, I like not. to
0: expand my my awareness, but I don't know when I start thinking about philosophy. I don't no,
1: know. I, you are a philosopher. <laughs> philosophy is thinking.
0: That That's is true. Is. That is true. That's my own restrictive thinking. There, going. Well, you're not a philosopher. You can't understand that. Of you are I can.
1: such a good <laughs> philosopher.
0: So yeah, I shall have a word of myself with that one. But isn't it funny All... how those little thoughts come up and you just go, well, I can't do that.
1: Yes, it's true. All we've been doing for the last hour is philosophizing.
0: Yeah. One of the things I like to ask people is if you could go back to yourself with the knowledge you have now about what quitting alcohol has given you, and they are some really different subjects that we've covered today and they're brilliant. What would you go back to say to yourself at the start? What bit, nugget of advice would you give to yourself? To help you along the way if, if somebody's at the start of their journey
1: so hard because I, I i don't think i listened to anybody and i don't think i listened to myself so wasted words whatever these are wasted on me because i didn't listen to anybody i always knew best or i wasn't in the market to listen but let's just imagine i i did listen so what would i say i would say oh my gosh duncan you have no idea what a beautiful journey you are stepping onto. It will blow your mind and then blow it again with every step. Stay the course. It's fucking hard to begin with, but, oh, my gosh, are you going to thank yourself for doing it? Oh, my goodness. That's
0: amazing. And you are, like you say, if you're describing yourself now to, as you were, a world
1: away. My world has expanded exponentially. I had no idea how constricted I was. I had no idea what a small, narrow lane I was trying to operate within. And my world has just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. My interests, my ability to interact with life, the people that I'm finding and enjoying, my ability to enjoy and be alive, is just seems to know no bounds. I'm in a completely different universe. A universe like, you know, infinite, I cannot see the edges of it. And I can't see that the graph is changing direction yet. It just seems to just continue to to get bigger. I think actually one thing that reminds me that we didn't say earlier, but I would like to add into all this is, I am doing less and being more. I think that really sums it up. It's about being, Not about doing. I am a doer by nature. I will do, 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 do. And I still do, but that's fine. But I do now as a secondary thing. I am all about being. I'm all about being. That's where peace is. That's where life is. That's where all the infinite resources at our fingertips are in being. Because I don't have to try to be amazing. I don't have to try to be creative. I don't have to try to be loving. I don't have to try to be joyous and peaceful. I those things and I find them by stopping doing and being then I can do on the side I can cook I can shop I can mend I can you know drive I can do stuff
0: yeah I'm a human being yeah you are a human being and actually you must have read my mind because when I was thinking about talking to you today I've got notes here and one of the things I've written down was I'm a doer and I'm working on that in sobriety yeah. Nice.
1: One. So be a human being. Be a human being. Yeah. It's all right to do, but we have to remember that our doing, those are roles that are secondary roles. There's nothing wrong with them. In fact, there's everything good with them, but they're secondary. And the moment they get top billing, that's where it goes wrong. First be, then do. If you do first, you'll never be.
0: Yeah but it's so true it's so true and i had heard that a few years ago about the human being and be more and it meant nothing to me because i was drinking every evening i wasn't being i was drinking i was a human drinking <laughs> i yeah. was literally that that was my focus like you say it was either thinking about have we got enough in do i need to go to the shop are we going to run out then do I want to drink? Don't I want to drink? How much am I going to drink? Am I going to be okay for tomorrow? Do I need to stop now? Because I was a very restrictive drinker. I would always make sure that I was okay the next day. I was always rules, 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 restriction, overthinking, control, planning. Yes, you have that freedom. It's amazing that you say about the being in control as a worrier, fellow worrier. I was just like that. I wanted to control my world. I wanted to control my drinking. And the end result was that I wasn't controlling it. You know, I mean, it's an illusion. You can't control anything. You certainly can't control alcohol. But for me, it was exhausting trying to control the uncontrollable.
1: Exhausting. Exhausting. Control is all about fear. The moment you surrender to whatever you're frightened of, fear disappears and you no longer need to control it and freedom comes.
0: Were you scared of
1: stopping drinking? Terrified. Yes, I mean, it's I, I I was couldn't imagine it.
0: Mm. That's what I, stopped me, I think, for years.
1: I couldn't imagine it, but I had other history to refer to. I think I remember stopping smoking drugs, and I I couldn't think of even watching television without being stoned. It was just an impossibility. And then I discovered actually I said I can, <laughs> and I remembered that. From then, yeah. I was scared. I couldn't imagine life without alcohol. I had everybody around me confirming all my fears that it wasn't possible. It was never going to end well. And, of course, that's a scary thought, exacerbated by alcohol itself because alcohol makes one more anxious uh, by flooding our system with stress hormones and things. So, yeah, it's a terrifying thing. Yeah. But, but-
0: the best thing, isn't it, is it? when you go past that fear. I remember that that morning, enough was enough morning, I was so scared. And I said to myself, I'll do 30 days like you did.
1: Yeah,
0: And so that would be a good piece of advice really, is if you don't commit to anything other than 30 days, just see ah, how yeah. you go.
1: That's what I would say. Fears, it's all about the future and the future is an illusion. We all know if you face fears in all the movies, you know, you the weakling stands up to the bully in the playground, you know, faces his fears. It, it never goes badly. We might get punched, but the end result is it goes well. Facing your fears isn't a bad thing. No. I'm sure somebody out there can come up with a very good exception. There's an exception to all rules, of course, but generally speaking, face your fears. Uh, I am. I, I can't believe the hypocrisy that's coming out of my mouth because I've spent my whole life avoiding my fears, but I'm learning now to face them and I'm. I'm, I'm getting better at it.
0: That's a brilliant note to end on as well. Just face your fears. And if you're contemplating, if somebody's sober curious, go for it. You might surprise yourself. There is a a heck of a world the other side of being a drinker that I like to think we're going some way to promoting the sober world.
1: You know what? I'll put my name to that one, Louisa. (laughs) Let's see what we
0: can do. Let's bang the drum. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. It's been Um, an absolute delight.
1: Louisa, right back at you. You are a joy to talk to. Thank you so much for having me on your beautiful podcast. Thank you for making me feel like a celebrity, you know, that I'm coming on Louisa's podcast. Wow, you know. They'll be looking outside my window. Are they queuing for my autograph yet? I think they should be. I've sent them round. (laughs) (laughs) And I hope and pray that something we said will be a lifeline or, an encouragement to somebody else out there treading the same path. If you'd
0: like to find out more about my own path to sobriety and how I did it, you can now get my book, Becoming a Sober Rebel, available as an audiobook as well on Amazon and on Audible. In it, I've combined my knowledge as a cognitive behavioural therapist and also as someone, even despite doing that job, who struggled to get sobriety to stick in the first place how I overcame my own mindset and own beliefs about alcohol to strengthen and motivate me. I needed to make the necessary mindset shifts that changed everything. And so in the book, I reflect on where my attitude to alcohol started and I work out why I found it so hard to walk away from it in the first instance, why I was sabotaging my own success, and also why wasn't I using the tools from my professional life that I knew would have worked. I speak about tools to help you calm your mind naturally, how to deal with sober emotions, how to lift your mood if you're feeling low. I help you with any anxious feelings. We talk about the think-feel-act cycle and how we can use that in habit change. And so it's packed full of tools and techniques for dealing with everything from anxiety, panic attacks and low mood through to helping you with cravings. Thank you to everybody who's left comments, messages and reviews on the book and on this podcast. I can't quite believe how many people it's reaching. So thank you so much. And thank you for listening. I'll catch you next time.